Welcome to the network. My name is Michael Prejean. The network is my attempt at creating a modern podcast version of the Negro Motorist Green Book. Every single episode is designed to help the physical, mental, spiritual, and financial health of Black people living in and traveling through America. Today's esteemed guest is Dr. Christina Payne Hall. She is an author, wife, mother, speaker, educator, creator, survivor, etc., etc. Christina, glad to have you here with us today. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to be here today with you. Good, good. So tell us a little bit um, about yourself. Give us some of this background information. Who is C.E. Payne Hall? Who is she? Who is this young lady? Hi, everyone. I am Christina Elizabeth Payne Hall, a doctor, um, a doctor of education. I am a native of Port Allen, Louisiana. Uh, I am the youngest of five children of Eddie and Gail Payne. Um, I am we only only two of us are still remaining of my siblings. Three of my siblings are deceased. Uh, I grew up in New Roads and Port Allen mostly and Baton Rouge. I have been an educator for over 20 years. I have taught infants through 12th grade. I've also taught adult classes as well. Um, I am a owner of Mayada Dorn LLC, which is a jewelry company that also makes homemade body, natural body products. I am the founder president of Queendom 101 Foundation. I am the assistant head of school of a high school in New Orleans. And I am also um, a second vice president of my chapter of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. And as Mike stated, I am a guest speaker, mostly for women's programs in the Church of Christ, and then also a motivational speaker for community programs as well. I'm the author of He Called Me Queen, like it was my first name, which is a book of poetry. Um, the Great Space, a safe space for exceptional children, an exploratory single case study, which is my dissertation. And I am a co-author of the book called Vibrating Higher, um, written with other with eight other phenomenal women that talks about our experiences in life. And uh, that's pretty much who I am. I am a wife. I'm a mother of three. And um, that's pretty much me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Lots of good stuff there. So let me back up just for a second. So um, I, I say Mott, but clearly there's another pronunciation that is better than my mispronunciation. Say that for us again. Mayat. Mayat. Mm-hmm. Mayat adorned. Okay. Yes. See, look at that. I, I've learned something new already. Go ahead. And Mayat is based on the principles of Mayat. The of 42? The ancient, it's 42, the 40, right? The 42 principles. Um, just basically reminding us of honor, of justice, of love, of loyalty, and of being good not only to ourselves, but to everyone. And so that's why it's called Mayat Adorn, because when you are wearing Mayat Adorn jewelry or products, it's to help you keep in mind who you are and who you are supposed to be in relation to your relationships and interactions with everyone else around you. Okay. Okay. So are you wearing um, any of your Mayat Adorned jewelry right now? Yes, my earrings. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let, let's go ahead. And so if y'all like her earrings, y'all, y'all see these? beautiful earring she has in if they want to go and and you know buy some mayat adorn stuff where can they go www.mayatadorn.com 
Y'all got that? You'll find bracelets, bracelets, necklaces, earrings, books, and homemade body products. So lip balm, body butter, body scrubs, body wash, all of those things. Everything is a handmade, homemade. Okay. And you create all of that stuff, all those things your own by yourself? Yes, I do. By myself, yes. Oh, so I'm trying to figure out um, when you have time to do that. I make time. Okay. <laughs> I, my, okay. My calendar is extremely busy, but I do make time to do that. Uh, pre-pandemic, I also used to do uh, vending at different markets. And so, uh, but I make time. I make time. And I also do custom orders as well. So people just text me or, or send me an email and I make custom orders for them as well. Okay. Okay. So do you have, um, you gave us your website. Do you have like an Instagram page or anything like that? If people yes. want to go check out your Insta, what is that? On Facebook is my adorned and on Instagram is the same M-A-A-T-A-D-O-R-N-E-D. Okay. Okay. That's good stuff. Um, so tell me a little bit. I, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm curious about, a, about a lot of different things before we go into, um, Queendom 101, because I definitely want you to talk about Queendom 101 a little bit as well. Tell me about your dissertation, um, the great space, a safe space for exceptional children. What was that study about? This study was about uh, creating a space for exceptional children or children who are labeled as special education students so that they would not have disciplinary removals from school. So a little background about myself as an educational leader. I have been a behavior dean, a dean of students, a vice principal of student affairs, and then now an assistant head of school. So I serve in the capacity uh, of students dealing with discipline and behavior, but then also uh, now as an instructional leader. Um, I have always, um, I know I'm not into suspending students from school. And so um, as a disciplinarian, one of the, my goals was to reduce our suspension rate, our out-of-school suspension rate for our students, but especially for our students with exceptionalities. And some of those exceptionalities, including, you know, ED, emotional um, disorders and mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that, where mm -hmm. students are not necessarily uh, in control of everything that they do. And then a lot of times the environment can impact students' behavior. And so uh, my dissertation was about, is a single case study about a school that decided to um, eliminate those punitive practices and implement more restorative practices into their disciplinary um, policies. And so that's what the great space is. The great space is a place where students can go. It started out as their exceptional students that had um, a variety of needs. They need to go to a place where they can calm down. They can talk to a caring adult. They can play with some manipulatives. They can color if that calms them down and then they can return to their classroom um, instructional time in, in a better space. But then the school also decided to op later open it up for all students who were experiencing different types of trauma so that they can have a space to reset themselves and then return to the instructional space. And so that's pretty much what it was about, just making sure that, you know, as educational leaders and as educators, we are finding alternative ways to help our students instead of just sending them home. Um, because a lot of times students go home and that's not going to solve any problems. And so we need to tackle the things that we can tackle while we're in the school setting and keeping our students in the school setting with us, with caring adults, making sure our adults are um, trained in restorative practices and trauma-informed approaches um, can help the school environment as a whole, but then also can help build and help our students to grow.
And so that's really what it's all about. Just making sure we're not sending students home out of school suspension, student removals, expulsions when we don't have to. I realized years ago that when kids are cutting up or acting out, that it's, it's a cry for help. It's a symptom. Mm -hmm. So why, so a couple of guests ago, we talked um, Onita Gage and I, a friend of mine, and I just asked her, you know, the current education system, the way it's set up, you know, does it work? You know, we were talking about black boys, you know, for black boys, you know, and she was just, you know, very frank and just saying it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't work. Um, so listening to you talk, one, let me ask you this, the case study, was it, was this the school in Philly? No, it was not. Okay. Um, cause I had read about a school in, in Philly, in Philadelphia that was doing something similar. Um, and I work in the educational system as well. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about it and I, I don't want to go too deep into it here, but I often wonder if it is broken beyond repair. I'm looking around, uh, in, in my local area and mm -hmm. we're going to have a teacher shortage. It really looks like we're going to we have, have a teacher one. shortage. No, we have know? one. We definitely yeah. have one. And the, um, pan the pandemic, um, made it very, uh, larger, <laughs> but we have yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have the answers. I, I don't have the answers, but I know what we're doing um, doesn't necessarily work. I am the teacher who, when the kids come to me and they tell me, man, coach, school sucks. I can't wait to drop out. I'm like, okay, I'm okay with that as long as you have a plan. Mm -hmm. You know, do you, do you have a plan? What's your, what's your backup plan? You uh -huh. know, what do you really want to do? You know, so I try to engage in that discourse with them, you know, because I'm like, yeah, school kind of, it kind of sucks. You know, it, it, it really, it really kind of sucks the way it's kind of structured and set up. Um, well, I think of it like this. I think it is fixable, but one thing that we have to do um, is look at ourselves as adults and what we're bringing to the table and the type of environment that we're creating. And um, we also have to ask our children what they need. Because as adults, we have in our mind what we think children need, and we don't right. necessarily really understand. We can guide them because we've had more experiences than they have, but we have to ask them what they need. And if there is a child that says they don't know what they need, then that's a perfect opportunity and a teachable moment to give them some ideas and to help guide them. But at the end of the day, and I tell this to my own children, I'm not you. And so the, the way that I think and the things that I would do based on my experiences, I can guide you in the things that I like and that I want to do because, you know, that's just me. But that may not be you because we're all individuals. So I think we have to first really, you know, as adults, take a step back and look at what what is it that our kids need? And once we find out what it is that they need, then, you know, as the creative, innovative thinkers that we are, then we have to fashion what we do for that. And yes, we are in an educational system. And that's another story that, you know, another conversation that I, you know, right, right. we can talk about another time. But even within that system, as educators, we have autonomy to do a lot of things. You know, one thing that I learned at Southern University from um, our instructors is that 
yes, there are specific things that you have to learn in order to pass, you know, the, at that time it was the, the, the teachers, the national teachers exam, and now it's the practice. There are certain things that you have to learn to pass those specified standards that are set in place for the reasons that they are set in place. However, once you step inside that classroom, the most important thing that you need to learn is your students and their learning styles. And then you have to change and alter the way that you teach to make sure you are able to meet, even if it's 20 different learning styles within that classroom setting, you have to be able to meet them. And so we have to ask our kids what they need. And if, if as an educator, the things that I'm teaching is not getting across to the students in my classroom, let's say it is the, the, the young black boys in my class, if it's not getting across to them, then I'm gonna step aside and I'm gonna have a conversation with my black boys to say, hey, what is, what it, what is it that I'm doing that I can do better in order to get this over to you? Because this is what this is what you need. This is why you need it. This is how it's going to be relevant to you later on. You may not see it now, but let me know how can I get the message across to you in which way would it be best? If you need me to sing it, I'll sing it for you. You need me to do a TikTok, I'll TikTok it for you. What is it? How can I help you to learn the information that you need to learn so that you know you can be better in your future? Because at the end of the day, and I tell this to my students and my own children now, you're in, in high school for four years. That's it for most, for most of you, four years. But you're gonna be an adult the rest of your life. So what is it that I can do right now to help you so that when you are no longer in high school, whether you wanna start a career, whether you wanna to go to college, whatever it is that you wanna be, because you're gonna be there for the rest of your life. So I need to make sure that you're set up to where you can be successful in whatever that is later on. So we have to start with asking, asking our children what they need. That, that is important. I do not believe that enough teachers do that. I, I think sometimes, and I'll just say we, I think sometimes we're just trying to get through the lesson, you know, and that's, that's a general, that's a very broad and general statement, but I think that happens sometimes. So here's what I want to do right here. Mm -hmm. I want to make, I'm looking at, um, you shared with me the Louisiana demographics of students and teachers. Mm -hmm. So about 42 and a half percent of the students in Louisiana are black students. Mm -hmm. Less than a quarter of the teachers in Louisiana are black. Mm -hmm. So I wanna make a, a, a plea for everybody who's watching or listening right now, consider teaching. Now it is not for the faint of heart, let me say that. <laughs> it is not for the faint of heart. Um, but everybody, everybody has something to say about the school system and I am one of those people, I'm like, hey, don't talk about it, be about it. So um, there are, so this goes back to, a little brief segue here, this goes back to Brown versus the Board of Education, right? So when schools desegregated mm. um, and Black people integrated, well, we know that no white people were bust to the black schools, uh -huh. you know, all of the black kids were bused to the white schools, um, and the black schools were were closed. Well, guess who lost their jobs? All the black teachers. And as a community, we have not recovered since then. This is nineteen Brown versus Board was that nineteen fifty four. So here we are, more than half a century later, and we have not recovered. So the number of black teachers 
because and I and I want to, you know, take this directly back to your dissertation, you know, asking our kids what I need. Number one, you got to be comfortable. You know, I know I'm comfortable talking to kids. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you are comfortable talking to kids, um, but not everybody's comfortable talking to black kids. Right. Or brown kids. That's very true. Or. You know, so we definitely we, we got to get these numbers up. So if we want our kids to be successful um, and we want them to be in a school that is not just going to be like, OK, uh, Dr. Dr. Hall, I need you to come and get your your baby. You know, we got to send him home for three days. And then when he comes back, he's going to be in in-school suspension for 10 days. You know, we need we need alternatives. And I think one of the places that we can start building some alternatives is if we had more of us in the classroom. So that's my plea. That's my plea for all of y'all who are watching and listening. Join, join this teaching force. Come out here and save some kids. Yes. All right. I, I could talk about education all day, but that's not why we're here. All right, <laughs> tell me about, um, I want to know about Queendom, Queendom 101. What, what is the genesis of that? So let me go back to um, my daughter. So my daughter um, had a problem with you know, her looks. I think she's a very beautiful young lady, right? But she had this big Afro when she was in elementary school and she didn't really like it. And so uh, it took us a while to get her to understand how beautiful she was, how beautiful her hair was, how beautiful you know she her skin is and all of those things. And so I thought about um, other girls that are her age, black and brown girls who are her age who are struggling with the same thing, whether they're in a school with predominantly white children or whether they're in a school with other black and brown children, it was still a struggle with the hair and the skin color, colorism and all of those different things. And so Queendom 101 came um, out of me thinking about my daughter and um, other girls her age and their struggles and also working in high school, looking at the struggles of our girls in high school and just making sure that I um, started a program to help them with self-awareness, self-respect, um, and giving them more experiences in different fields of education and knowledge and introducing them to different women of color that in a lot of different uh, variety in the community. And so uh, Queendom 101 um, is just to make sure that we are empowering our young ladies to see who they are right now and to also see who they can be and to help them encourage uh, and empower one another. And so it's for girls ages eight to 18 and so I started out with just doing two programs a year, um, a girls empowered program. I did one in Baton Rouge and I would do one in New Orleans as well. And in those programs, there would be, uh, it was be a, a full day program with different women of color coming in to do guest speaking and then doing different activities um, for our girls. We did a great session right before the pandemic, uh, Colorism with Shira Phillips, where the girls under, learned to uh, understand the historical background of colorism and then learning to do different affirmations for themselves about how beautiful they are, no matter what tone of skin color they had, no matter what texture of hair that they had. But it was just more so empowering young women um, to love themselves and then to encourage and love one another. And so that also the website for okay. that is www.queendom101.org. And I'm always looking for uh, women of color to work with us to, you know, do different sessions for our girls. 
Okay. Okay. What's that website again? Queendom101.org. Queendom101.org. How long have you been doing Queendom 101? I've been doing Queendom 101 since 2019. But I've been speaking, you okay. know, to young okay. ladies for a very long time. So I I coach um, girls athletics. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a girls basketball coach. Um, and I've been adopted. Um, so I actually <laughs> have uh, a lot of nieces um, and a couple of daughters. You know, it's mm-hmm. a couple of them that, that actually call me dad. I'm, uh, but of course, I'm not a young lady, right? Mm-hmm. So what is it, you know, because I, I, I try to have, you know, conversations with them, you know, and, and, you know, just let them know, hey, listen, you know, you're beautiful, you know. Um, <clears throat> but what what is it? Um, or let me ask, is it difficult to teach young women to affirm themselves? Is it something that comes natural for some young women or is it something that's just kind of naturally difficult for young women to affirm themselves? Um, I think it's a couple of things and I'm, I'm gonna speak from my own experience. I, when I was younger, I was teased about a lot of different things. I was teased because at that time, girls had perms in their hair. Well, I didn't have a perm. My mom wasn't gonna put a perm in my hair. Um, she pressed my hair, but as soon as you know, you go out into Louisiana humidity is poof, you know, it's all over your head. I was teased yeah, yeah. Um, because I was a preacher's kid. I was teased because I didn't wear pants. I was teased because I made good grades. I was teased um, because my mama made all of my clothes. And then I was teased because I had spaces in my teeth because I used to suck my my thumb when I was a a little girl. And then I was teased when I got braces on my teeth. And so it it, it was a lot of things going on. But I was the type of kid that no matter what anybody said to me, it only pushed me to do greater things. And it didn't impact me as I see it right. impacts our girls today. But one thing that I would say is that um, my mom taught me that she told me that I was, I was beautiful. And she told me to, you know, you don't you know, worry about what other people say about you. You know who you are. And, you know, that stuck with me growing up, even though I'm like, mama, you, are you, you sure? Cause these kids saying a lot of stuff about me. Right. But some of our, our young ladies are not, you know, strong within themselves to not take all of those things on, especially if, you know, for some, for some of us, we do have a strong family that, that encourages us all the time, but some people don't. Sometimes some of those things happen within the household mm-hmm. as well, you know? And so we have to just be mindful, you know, as adults and as parents too, of how we interact with our children within the home when they're young about what they look like, right? And then also, because knowing, you know, mm-hmm. going into schools, you know, adults are not going to catch everything that's said. And so I think that one, it comes from- and kids the, are cruel. They, they can be very cruel. And so when it comes from within the home and, you know, strengthening our kids within in our home, giving them affirmations and things to say and things to see within themselves from within our home so that then when they step outside, you know, and it's still it's still, you know, people say, you know, words can't can't hurt you, but words words definitely can hurt you. But knowing what to do if somebody says something right. to you. So I used to teach my children in the car, you know, driving to school. Like, you know, you know, what are you going to do if somebody says this and giving them different examples? Because, you know, being like I said, a, when I was a disciplinarian, 
a high school disciplinary. <laughs> there were so many cases that came across my desk. So I would go home, you know, on a ride home from school and ask my child, you know, well, if, if uh, somebody said this to you or if somebody put this on Instagram about you, what you going to do about it? And then they would tell me or they said they didn't know. And, and, you know, then I'll give them some, you know, some tools and some things to say or some things to do, you know, where you can combat those things. You know, now, is, is it going to hurt your feelings? Yes, it's going to hurt your feelings sometimes. But then how do you handle it if it does? And so just giving them the tools and, and understanding that, you know, everybody's not nice. But when somebody's not nice, this is what you can do about it, you know, then that helps. But if you don't have that, then it's very difficult when someone says something about you, especially for a little kid, especially when, you know, children want to be accepted by their peers. Then it's very difficult if you don't have a support system who helps to guide you through those things. That's important. That's important. And, and as a, I don't have a, a biological daughter, unfortunately, um, I have two sons, but so affirming them in the home and giving them tools, Give that's them important. Tools. So if you have young women, yeah, if you got young women at home, nieces, nephews, your neighbor, you know, friends of the family, make sure you affirm them, affirm your babies, affirm your babies, including if you have sons, make sure that you give them those tools. Tina, that was excellent. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. So before we move into your why, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, I need you to hit that like and subscribe button. If you're listening, audio, go to uh, Apple, go to Apple, give us five stars. I really, really appreciate that. All right, Tina, you have some whys, <laughs> some W-H-Ys. You have multiple whys, and I definitely want you to talk about them. So you start with your overall why. What is your overall why? My overall why is to be faithful unto death so I can receive a crown of life that God has prepared. So before uh, anything I am at this present moment in my life, I am a Christian. I am a servant of God, and uh, I live my life in such a way that I can be pleasing to him. So when I, I tell you that I'm not I'm not moved by what other people do, I'm only moved by God and God is my standard. Um, and so with that, um, my present why is to use the talents that God has given me. And I'll tell people this all of the time. And even when I speak, I say this, you everybody has been blessed to be able to do something really well. And so if you don't use it, you may mm -hmm. lose it. And so um, I'm blessed to be able to to help others. Um, and I can say it in mind, body, and spirit. And so this is, this is my why. And so, as I said earlier, I'm a guest speaker, um, with youth programs, uh, events for women, wherever I'm asked, because I do have the ability to do it, then I'm not going to say no, unless it conflicts with something else that I'm doing on my calendar. But for the most part, if someone asks me to come out and, and do something to speak, to do a program, to support, I'm coming because that's what God blessed me to be able to do. So that, that is my overall why, is just to help support and to empower people as I can. Let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. What was it like growing up as a preacher's kid? You know, before we go <laughs> to your next why. So what was that like? I wrote a poem about it in my book. But um, small town, you know, Port Allen was a very small town. And um, my dad grew up in Port Allen. So people knew him before he was a preacher. So that was also interesting. Okay. But um, being a preacher's kid, 
a preacher's daughter, let me just, just say a preacher's kid, being a preacher's daughter, um, you hold a, a weight that you didn't ask for, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, it's difficult because people don't expect you, you're not expected to make mistakes. You're not expected to, to, um, to do things that are what people would consider uh, not righteous, right? Yeah. And yeah. so um, the one thing that I've learned about that is um, I never say what anybody's children will or will not do, no matter what the status of their parents are. Even with my own children, I can always say what I've taught them and what I guide them and what I hope they won't do. But out of my sight and out of my presence, you know, that's their decisions to make. And so um, it was very difficult growing up as a preacher's daughter. And that's all I'm going to say <laughs> on that okay. one. Yeah, okay. it was very difficult. <laughs> okay. 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 I hear you. <laughs> I, I hear you. Um, okay. So you talked about your overall why mm -hmm. and you talked about your present why. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to elaborate on that as well. As I said, mind, body, and spirit. So as an mm -hmm, educational mm -hmm. leader, I did share the stats <clears throat> of the educational um as teachers, teachers and students, but I did not find the, the stats for um, educational leaders of color in the state of Louisiana. I didn't find that or overall. And I'm, I'm pretty sure there are very few black women who are educational leaders uh, overall, um, just by the numbers of, of those who are educators as you know, teachers as well as students are concerned. And so as an educational leader, my why is to positively impact our children of color to become educators and to also give our teachers the tools that they need to be successful. I became an educator, I was a teacher for 12 years. So as I said, I taught you know, pre-K through 12th grade. For 12 years, I was a health physical education teacher and I also did some coaching and I also was uh, on a leadership team in different capacities in all of my uh, years that I've been in education. And so what I noticed that a lot of teachers were struggling, um, and with different strategies and, and things like that. And so I realized that, you know, I was a great teacher. I was a great teacher and I was, I was very creative. I was innovative. I didn't need anyone to give me a curriculum. I created my own curriculum and all of those things. And so I noticed that other people were struggling doing that. So I say, you know what? I think my, my calling is to be able to lead educators. And so that's why I went into educational leadership because I wanted to make sure that I can help to adequately prepare uh, teachers, future teachers, and, and those who are, are currently teachers. And also I wanted to make sure that uh, students of color could see um, an educational leader of color, you know, in front of them as well, and for then any of those who aspire to be that. And, you know, I have had students to ask me, well, how did you get to be an assistant head of school or, or assistant principal? How did you get to be that? And I can walk them through my journey and they're like, oh, okay, so if I do this, Yep, you can you can do it as well. And so I just want to make sure that, you know, in, in all professions um, where we are, you know, people of color in those professions to make sure that we're having those conversations with young people to let them know that, hey, you can you can do anything that you want to do. And I made it in, in this profession to this level doing X, Y and Z. And so guess what? You can do that, too. And if you need assistance, you need help. You know, I write letters of recommendations for, for students, for graduates, for college students. I write recommendations for, you know, educators, anybody that I can assist, you know, I do that. And so one of my whys is being an educational leader is to make sure our, our children of color um, can see you. And I think that's, you know, very important for them to be able to do that. And also, as I said, from my dissertation, um, to make sure that we are not giving punitive consequences 
to our students um, in, in education. I believe that the school is a institution of learning, not an institution of punishment. We have institutions of punishment, and that's a, another conversation as well. But we can't use schools as an institution of punishment when it's supposed to be an institution of learning. And then those who are punished uh, <laughs> disproportionately are black boys who have special needs. And so with that, that's when my dissertation came into play. I am an educational leader because I want that to, to stop. And where I am, we're eliminating a lot of those things. You know, uh, before I got into my position as a disciplinarian, we had a 31.3% out of school suspension rate. And now it's at, it's at, I think it's like the last time was like a 9.4% you know, and it's getting lower and lower. We eliminated in-school suspension altogether. We don't, we don't do in-school suspension. We have what's called in-school solutions. So if you do have to step out of the classroom, you're doing a reset reflection, you're talking with the caring adult, we're gonna walk you right back over. You have a, you put your own action plan in place to how to get back into your classroom. We're gonna be right there with you as you work your action plan to get right back in your classroom. You know, and so that's another reason why, uh, one of my whys, just to eliminate those punitive punitive consequences in schools. That's not the place for it. Um, otherwise, you know, when we met in college, I was, I was a track athlete. That's what I called it. I was a lady Jaguar track and field. Um, and I still work out. I never stopped working out. I worked out through all of my pregnancies. Even when I was sick, you know, I was, had Stevens Johnson syndrome. When I was able to lift myself on my walker, I was doing dips on my walker because I couldn't use my legs and my feet, but I was doing dips with my, on my walker. And so my why as, as it relates to health and physical fitness is to make sure that whatever you can do, you do it. If you can't run, you can jog. If you can't jog, you can walk. If you can't walk, you can roll. Whatever the case may be, make sure that you're doing something to keep yourself healthy. And if you can't, you know, sometimes some people can't move because of their joints, you know, get in the pool, do some, some walking in the pool. You know, whatever your doctor says is the best for you to do, but to always remember to, if you are blessed with movement, to try to move, you know. Um, and I think that was it, making sure, you know, we're healthy. Health is wealth. Health is the most, health is the most important wealth because if you're not here, there is none of, none of, none of these things you can do if you're not healthy enough to do them, right? And so that, those, those are, are, are really my why. It's my business. I want to make sure uh, with my out of door, I want to make sure that I build a foundation for my children. So if they want to take on uh, my out of door or they want to create their own products and uh, put them into uh, my out of door, they have the avenue to do that. And then, of course, Queendom 101 is to make sure that our girls of color um, have women of color that they can that can mentor them, look up to them and give them a lot of experiences to help them to um, be self-aware, to have self-respect, to love themselves and then to in turn encourage others to do the same. And so. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much my whys. <laughs> and I can go on and on, so, but that's my whys. No, that's that's good. It's very clear. The vision is very, very clear. So I wanna I wanna ask you. So the one the number one thing I, I kinda wanna do with this platform is, you know, I wanna spread wisdom. Mm -hmm. I definitely wanna spread the wisdom. Um, there are so many talented professionals in our community. Um, but I want to ask you this. As a young man, I was, I was all over the place, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to necessarily say I had vision. So when I, when I graduated high school, 
um, I had two things on my mind. Number one was seeing if I could play baseball somewhere in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then number two was, well, if I can't play baseball anywhere in college, I'm going to New Orleans for college because I wanted to go and have a good time in New Orleans because I used to go to the classic, you know, when I was younger and, you know, my wife <laughs> mentioned the other day, she just kind of looked at me and she was like, you, you were a party animal. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I really was, babe. Um, so I really did not have the vision, right? Like I was trying to, that's how I ended up at Southern, you know, playing baseball. Um, so it was like, I'm gonna play baseball or I'm gonna go party. That's where I was. Um, so as a kid who kind of lacked vision, where did you develop the, the, the vision for all of these things that you do now? How was that developed in you? So, Mike, I was um, <clears throat> I was the opposite of everything that you said about yourself. <laughs> so I uh, I was the kid that always had books <laughs> and I was always reading and I was teaching my baby dolls and my brother, who was a year older than me. He was one of my students, even though I was younger than him. And so um, I had great teachers. I had well, take that back. I had great teachers and I also had teachers that were not so great. Mm-hmm. And so um, my vision came from my great teachers and the things that they instilled in me. And I always knew that. And I'm, I'm talking about from probably kindergarten. I think kindergarten was when I said I was going to become a teacher. And um, from that point, that's what I knew that I was going to be. And I knew that I was going to be um, health and physical education teachers because I had really two really great health and physical education teachers, Miss Dana, Ms., uh, I'm sorry, I'm calling her daughter's name, Miss Trotter, and then Miss um, Allen, who's now Miss Grimes in Port Allen. And I thought that, you know, I had a brother who grew up uh, with sickle cell anemia, and I, I always uh, saw how he struggled with his health, but I also saw some other things, you know, I'm not going to call any names, but I had a, a teacher that was not in the greatest health, but was a physical educator. And um, I was, didn't learn very much. And so I knew that, you know, health is very important and I want to make sure that I'm teaching people how to be healthy in all the different ways that they can be. And so that's where that came from. As far as my drive and my discipline, um, I think that's just, that's just who I was as a kid. And anything that I set my mind to do, I was going to do it. And uh, I think that's where me and my dad clashed a lot. But anything I set my mind to do, um, I was going to do it. And I was going to learn everything about it. I was going to read everything about it because um, I didn't watch TV a lot when I was growing up. I didn't listen to music a lot. I was most of the time as a kid, I was outside a lot. Um, My dad taught us how to uh, play pretty much all sports outside, Um, taught us how to garden, taught us he was a carpenter. So he taught us how to, we didn't get to, we didn't get the toys that were brought in the store. We wanted something. My daddy made us go to the library, get a book, and he got wool it out, and we had to make it. Um, wow. <laughs> no, I'm I'm very serious. Uh, I didn't get the doll, the, the Barbie doll houses. I got some wood and a book from the library on how to make a doll house, and was outside with my daddy making my own doll house, my own baby stroller, all of that stuff. So that was just instilled in me. And till this day, I'm, I'm a reader. I'm, I do research. You know, I write. You know, if I want to know something, I'm going to go and find it and I'm going to read about it as much as I can. Um, I was the kid in in college. This is funny. I didn't go. I went out to, I think, two 
events at Southern University the entire time I was there um, because I was always studying. I went to, when I crossed Zeta, I went to whatever that little club, I think it was Rags or something at the time, that evening that I crossed, we had a little party there. I was in that party for probably 20 minutes, did a stroll and strolled right out the door. I don't think people wow. even miss me. Um, and then we had an athletic <laughs> skate party in Bruley. They pulled me out of, Ebony and Shakita pulled me out of the bed to take me to that skate party in Bruley with all the athletes. And that was the only two events I went to. Other, other times I was studying. I had uh, a tape recorder where I recorded all my notes. So I was listening to that all of the time. And um, that's just who I was. Okay. And so that's where that came from. <laughs> That's, that that is good, and you you know you hit the nail on the head when you were like I was the exact opposite <laughs> of yeah. what you were doing because I can I probably did you know two events on the same day multiple times, um, but anyway. But, but a, a little bit deeper than that too. Um, my father went to an all black elementary school. Mm -hmm. He went to an all black high school. And he also went to Southern University. At that time, he could not go to the white high school, which was Port Allen High School at the time. He went to Conn High School. And uh, my mom was one of the groups that um, desegregated Rosenwald in New, in New Roads. And so my, fam my parents have some interesting stories about school when they attended school, high school and elementary school. And my aunts and uncles were the group who integrated Port Allen High School that I went, that I attended. And so all of those things kind of pushed me toward the importance of education. My grandparents had a third and fourth grade education, I believe. My grandfather was a master uh, tractor operator, not operator, but a master tractor um, mechanic. But he taught himself how to do that by taking apart the big tractors on the plantation and putting them back together with the help of my, my father and his brothers to learn. But he was, he was adamant about his children uh, having an education and his grandchildren also. And so uh, that's why when I say my name is Dr. Christina Payne Hull, I'm Payne by birth and Hull by choice. And so I want to make sure that even on my dissertation, when it's printed, that pain is there because of everything that my parents and my aunts, my uncles and my grandparents had to go through just to try to have some of the knowledge that was being, you know, kept from them. You know, it's very important you know, to me to continue on, to learn as much as I can learn, continue to learn, you know, even as I, I grow um, older into adulthood. So that has a lot to do with that as well. That is an awesome legacy. That is an awesome legacy. Because, um, you know, I think too often we take education for granted. Um, you know, we, we, we take our grandparents and parents really went through a lot to get us to where we are today. Dr. Payne Hall. I love it. Two main experiences. Two main experiences you said have shaped who you are. Um, the first one you said was your brother's death mm -hmm. from sickle cell anemia. Yes. So um, my, mm -hmm. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I had a best friend. My best friend passed from, from sickle cell in, in 93. So yeah. I understand that a little bit, but talk about your brother. So um, my brother is Nathaniel. Most people know him as Nate Payne. He was also at Southern University as well in the Timbuktu Academy at Southern University. Um, 
he suffered from sickle cell anemia our whole life. So even, you know, in elementary school, I remember sometimes my mom wouldn't be home because she would be in the hospital with my brother. And so um, his death really changed me a lot. I, I've never experienced death of anyone that was close to me. And when my brother, my brother passed away, he was 27 years old, and it was the day before my 26th birthday. So I haven't really celebrated my birthday ever since then. That was in 2003, because he would always call me at midnight on September the 8th to tell me happy birthday. And so um, he couldn't do that that year because he had passed away. And um, but it, it also made me really understand um, through his whole life, he always helped and, and he helped everybody, even though he was in a lot of pain all of the time. Um, he helped everybody. And so um, at his funeral, um, my dad, I know my dad did the, the message. And I, the only thing I can remember about my dad's message in that funeral was that he asked people to stand who my brother had helped in some way, um, whose life that had been impacted by him. And, you know, I can hear the people standing behind me. And I did glance back and the whole congregation was standing up. And it was a large, it was a Goodwill Boulevard Church of Christ. It was a large uh, church facility. And I thought about that and, and, you know, I said, I have to carry that on. You know, I have to do as he did through pain, through sickness, through everything. He always laughed, kept a smile on his face through it all. And he, his goal was to help as many people as he could. And so that's one thing that shaped my life and that, um, make you know makes me just you know just want to help and support everyone that i can um because i I'm, I'm still here and you know that that's what i feel that my purpose is and then the second thing that shaped who i am today is having stevens johnson syndrome and um stevens johnson syndrome um attacks the the skin and the membranes of the body is also called tin and uh, i had that in 2010 and it's a long story behind that, but um, it was an allergic reaction to medication. And so I always tell people all of the time, it doesn't matter if it's Tylenol or Advil, you know, everybody's body can't handle everything. So always make sure that if you feel something funny when you take medicine to really check into it, stop taking it and check into it so that it won't, you know, end up in, in Stevens Johnson syndrome. And what happened was... Um, I was burned, my complete, my whole body was burned. And I'll, I'll share, you know, a picture with you uh, later on uh, after okay. this broadcast, but my whole body was burned from top of my head bottom, to the bottom of my feet. Um, I lost sight in my eye, um, all of the ends, everything. I was like, I just like burnt toast. All of my skin was burned. My lips and wow. everything uh, were burned. I could not walk, you know, because my feet were so burned so bad. You know, every, every part of my body that had skin, um, was burned. And, you know, I still have scars. You know, I tell people all the time, if I, I wipe this long stay lipstick off, my lips are striped like a zebra. And then uh, there are some, you know, scars that, you know, the skin is a little bit lighter in certain parts of my body. But that experience taught me, one, that uh, the, imperm the impermanence of life. And then two, the importance of, as I said earlier, using the talents that you were given, you know, while, while you still can. Because mm -hmm. when I had Stevens Johnson syndrome, uh, for many months, I could not walk. And, you know, being a person who loves to exercise and be around, and uh, I call myself, I am a workaholic. I'm always into something. I was not able to do that. I had to rely on other people to take care of me. I couldn't take care of my children. 
Um, you know, my daughter was very young. I could not, you know, take them to school and go to their different events and things like that. I had to rely on, on people to feed me, to help me bathe, to, you know, I couldn't walk. And so um, that was, that just taught me that life can change in any second. You only, the only yeah. moment you have is right, this very second is the only moment that we have. And so that um, because of that, I make sure that all of the talents that God has given me, that I'm using them in some way. Uh, especially to, to help others as much as I possibly can. I am in a support group, a Stephen Johnson Syndrome support group on Facebook. And, you know, one thing I was able to do is, like I said, I make lip balm. And so for those who are recovering from Stephen Johnson Syndrome, I would, you know, mail them free lip balm just to, you know, to give them something soothing for their to the skin on their lips and, and, and different body butters and things like that. But um, that has pushed me, you know, um, in my Christian walk as an educational leader, um, you know, continue to be physically fit, continue to do all that I can while I can. Because at that time, I didn't know whether I was going to live or die. Wow. Wow. You are, you are a shero. <laughs> no, you, you really are. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, you, you're making the, the lip balm and, and being able to share that, you know, with others, you know, who have been affected by Stevens Johnson syndrome. Mm -hmm. Christina, that's awesome. So out of all of these, like you, you stay busy. You know, oh, well, yes, I definitely stay busy. Things, <laughs> is there anything that keeps you up at night? No. <laughs> so um, again, from a young girl, I was a, a person that always went to bed early and I always rose early. So there is nothing that keeps me up at night. However, there are things that I think about during the day when I am up. And one of those things, um, especially right, out, right now in New Orleans, um, is the amount of crime that is being committed by our young, like really young people, 11-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, you know, it's, it's, and on up to like 20, 24, 25, you know, it's, it's, it's sad when I have to step out of my home within my gate and look from side to side to see if somebody's going to carjack me, you know, while I'm getting in my car, yeah. So the same thing I have to do, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I get to work, I step out of my car. I got to look left to right to see if somebody might, you know, carjack me, harm me. I don't take my children with me to the grocery store. If at all possible, I don't take my children with me to the gas station. Um, I'm in there by myself because I'm, you know, if something happens to me, I'm, I'm fine, but I'm not going to allow anything to happen to my children. So that's going to be, Mm, not a good situation right there. And so when I have to go to places like that where things are, are happening around the city right now, I don't bring them with me because I'm okay if it happens to me, but I'm not going to let anything happen to them. Um, and so that's, that's what concerns me, just what, are, what, what is going on with our youth and how can we put things in place for them where they're not out carjacking and robbing. So if it's about, is it about the money or is it about a status? Like, is it, a, is it about money? And if it's about money, then what are we doing for our community to give our children opportunities as young people to make some money the legal way? <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah. if it's about status and, you know, what it looks like and, you know, posting videos of me robbing people on, on TikTok and on uh, whatever social media they use, then what are some other things that we can do to give them to... Um, to promote themselves in a positive way. 
But those are the things that concern me, like just our youth, because I know that, you know, we had a pandemic, schools were closed for the most part, or people were doing hybrid instruction for for some schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I'm thinking as we're about to return to school with all of our students, like some of the kids who did some of these things are going to be coming into the schools. And so what do we have in place, you know, uh, to help guide them while we have them and to keep them, you know, grounded into not going out into the community and, and harming the members of our community? So those are the things that I, you know, that I think about. I'm just concerned about our youth. Um, and like I said, I, the area of New Orleans where I live, I see young girls uh, prostituting themselves. And when so they're, young. I mean, well, to you know, I'm not young anymore. So young, it's like 20s, <laughs> 20s okay. on, you know, 20s and probably okay. 18, 19. Hopefully it's not younger than that. They yeah. look really young to me. But, you know, I see that. And when I'm driving, you know, a lot of times I want to stop, pick them up, but I don't have a place for them, you know, personally. I don't have a facility where I can take them, where I know that they'll be saved. And I also have to wonder who's going to be, you know, trailing me if I pick a child up to take them to a safe place. But mm-hmm. those things concern me. And it's, it's our young people. And, you know, where where is their next if they're doing these things, what is going to be next? But my, my fear in New Orleans right now is that, you know, a 10 year old, 12 year old is going to get shot because they're walking around with an AK carjacking people, you know? And so, you know, we want, we don't we want children killed in the street, but you know, people are going to start defending themselves. So those are the things that, you know, I, I think about. I, I, I need you to be safe out there. Um, I'm going to tell you, like my daddy used to say, I got God and I got the 66, the 66 books of the Bible. But uh, I also carry, you know, I'm a, a concealed, I, I'm licensed to carry. So, okay. but, okay. but I'm safe. I, mean, I got God, God teaches my hands to war, but I trust God first before I trust any weapon. Amen. And <laughs> amen. So for those of y'all who don't read the Bible, that is scripture. That is scripture. All right. That is so right. I didn't I didn't want to ask, but you know, you let us know. So God teaches my fingers. He trains my fingers for war. Okay. That's right. Let's go to uh it's in the Bible, y'all. That's you right. Read your Bible. All right, here we go. Recommended books. Recommended books. What are you reading right now? What do you recommend that our um, listeners? So I have a long list of recommended books. Um, let's, let's hit them but- all. But of course, you know, I put the Bible as first, uh, just daily reading um, mm-hmm. the ISIS papers. Um, the the I, I can't even go into depth about that. But that 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 black the, the relationship between the black woman and the black man is a, a good chapter in there. Um, I don't say the N word, but N-I-G-G-E-R by Dick Gregory. And he mm-hmm. talks about why he does why that was the title of his book. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great book. Uh, cast by Isabel Wilkerson, Blink, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, that's um, on my, that's on my. Woo, thinking about how you think, yeah. um, especially in those split, split second moments when things happen. Uh, Just as I am, Cicely Tyson, I read that and oh my, I had a, a very, she's just a queen. That's all I can say. Queen, yeah. queen, yeah. ooh. Um, medical apartheid. Uh, by uh, Harriet Washington. When you read that book, you have all kinds of thoughts and feelings about everything uh, dealing with the medical field. Uh, Asada by Asada Shakur, it is my duty to fight for freedom. It is my duty to win. 
We must love and protect one another. We have nothing to lose but our chains. I say that a lot of times. We have nothing to lose but our chains. Uh, the New Jim Crow mm -hmm. by Michelle Alexander. The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. The Art of War. Um, the Post-Racial Negro Green, uh, Green Book, excuse me. And Dust Tracks on the Road by Zora Neale Hurston. Um, who has one of my favorite quotes, if you're silent about your pain, they will kill you and say that you enjoyed it. And so um, those are my recommended books, some of them. Um, what I'm reading now, of course, I read the Bible every day. Um, <laughs> Improving Instruction Through Supervision, Evaluation, and Professional Development by DePaolo and Wagner. That's for uh, principals and instructional leaders. The Medical Mafia, very interesting book. Um, Lead from the Outside by Stacey Abrams. I finished that one already, um, but that is what I was reading at the time I did this questionnaire. Strong Black Girls Reclaiming Schools in Their Own Image. Amazing book. Mm. Um, my Story, My Testimony, My Deliverance by Rosalind Woodfox, uh, which I have completed, and then Building a Better Vocabulary uh, by Kevin Flanagan. Um, one thing that I can say about you know building a better vocabulary, growing up in Port Allen, and I was a kid also that did not talk a lot. And so my vocabulary was not very, and very extensive vocabulary. I was quiet. I was, I was quiet during college as well. Um, kind of like Denzel said in the movie, I don't you know, dance unless I hear music. So I didn't talk a lot. And when I went into my master's degree program and I was required to speak and do a lot of presentations, I started to realize how limited my vocabulary was. And so I always try to um, improve my vocabulary as much as I possibly can. And so um, building a better vocabulary is something that, you know, I'm always uh, listening to. So those are my recommended books. That is, see, this is why I love doing this podcast. I get to talk to people who are smarter than I am. <laughs> and then they recommend all of these great books, you know, <laughs> that, that I need to go and buy. So one of them that comes up, it is, this is probably the fifth or sixth time that it's come up is medical apartheid. Um, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I am currently reading the new Jim Crow mm -hmm. and I've been reading it for a while because I'm just angry. I, I'm just going to be honest with you reading. Um, and, and I consider myself a reader, you know, mm -hmm. I'll read two to three books at a time, That's but that me. is one book that I am struggling to get through because, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm just, I'm just pissed off reading it. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of traumatizing as I read it. So I know eventually I'm going to get to medical apartheid, um, but that is one that comes up consistently over over our first two seasons. This is Mike. probably episode twenty seven. It's Mike's, come up five or six times. Go ahead. When I read the part about sickle cell anemia, for one, so I have sickle cell trait. My brother has sickle cell anemia. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a part in there about the, the experimental medication for that. And so uh, my brother actually participated in some experimental medication for that. And so as I was reading that, I just I had to turn the book over, like you said, for a minute before I could pick it back up again yeah. to read it, because I start thinking about the things that, you know, he experienced and so I'm, I'm not going to go into too much, you know, detail about this because I know this is live and it might impact my family members because uh, they haven't read that book. But um, he did participate in experimental medication uh, mm -hmm. for sickle cell anemia. And I have all kinds of thoughts about it after reading that. 
And so, yeah, some of some of the books that I'm reading and, you know, one thing I'm going to say, I, I felt that growing up and I know we are around the same age that we didn't learn enough in school about um, our history. And so now at my age, you know, I feel like I am going back to learn everything that I was not taught yes. in school or at yes. home, because those things were also not taught to our, our parents as well. Yes. And so I'm going back to find everything that I wasn't taught that I didn't know that I feel that I should know at the age that I am right now. And I'm making sure that I'm uh, introducing that to my children as well. And so um, I, I am. And now that I'm finished with uh, my dissertation and everything in, in, in school, I find myself I'm always reading something. So I don't I don't um, when I'm when I'm sitting still, I'm reading something when I'm in my car. I'm listening to audiobooks, so I'm always, always uh, getting some information, and it's nothing that's. I'm not doing anything that's fiction. I don't do fiction. You know, I don't remember the last time I read a book that was <laughs> fiction. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm not about play anymore. I, everything is real. <laughs> so, no, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good. Okay. <clears throat> Recommended music. What are you listening to right now? So I love acapella gospel music. Um, when I am doing uh, anything mindfulness or when I'm, you know, settling my body down, I listen to Tai Chi. I also, people think, I think this is funny, but I listen to the soundtracks for the movie 300 and the movie um, Gladiator when I'm really working on something that I need to, you know, I need to just, it needs to be off the chain. I'm listening yeah. to that Gladiator music. <laughs> um, I listen to smooth jazz. Uh, I love reggae. And uh, my Pandora stations are the Common Station, the um, Talib Kweli, Lauren Hill, and of course, Bob Marley. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good stuff right there. All right. Podcasts. What are you listening to? What so podcasts? like I told you before, I listen to all of your podcasts, except for one. I have to catch up on the other Mr. Prejean's uh, podcast uh, episode. Okay, my nephew. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Halt yeah. Street Church of Christ, um, Latoya Okia for uh, men and women who are aspiring life coaches. Latoya Okia is very good. Uh, the Dr. Will Show. And then I love documentaries. So um, anything that's dealing with history that I haven't been taught, like I said before, I'm going to go and find documentaries uh, to listen to. So those are uh, my podcasts. That's good. That's good. Tina, you are so incredibly smart and wise <laughs> thank you You know i'm i'm just no i'm, I'm, I'm telling you I'm, I'm learning i'm learning today i appreciate you sharing all of this good stuff with us okay thank so you. we're we're coming towards the end okay we got two segments left we got the lightning round and then we have you didn't ask okay mm-hmm. so the lightning round is you know i got about 10 random questions or so it's real loose so i'm gonna just throw these questions at you okay, okay? And then first thing comes to mind, that's what I want you to, to hit us with, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. What's your favorite track and field event? Ooh, to run the 400-meter dash, to watch the 400-meter hurdles. Okay, okay. Um, who was your, this, I didn't even write this question down, but I'm just curious. Who was your stiffest competition on the track? In high school, it was Shaida Brown from Brulee High School and uh, Keisha Lynn Brown 
and Tanata Pryor. Okay. Okay. Shout out to them. All right. <laughs> Who is your track and field goat? Florence Griffith Joyner, Flojo. Okay. This question is not on here either, but I'm just wondering. So coach walks up to you and he's like, all right, you got to run the four by four. What leg you running? I'm running the first leg and uh, I'm going to always run the first leg in a four by four because it helps me get better in my open 400. Okay. Okay. So if you track people listening, y'all need to go ahead and grab that little tidbit right there. Okay. <laughs> here you go. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? The power to heal those who are inflicted with uh, life-threatening illnesses. Okay. Okay. Have you ever tasted soap? Yes. When I was little, I licked soap when I was taking a bath in the bathtub. Didn't most kids lick a bar of that yellow dial soap to see if it tastes like orange? I'm going to be real with you. I did. I did. I did. Oh. <laughs> are women complicated? Yes. Okay. Would you rather ask for permission or beg for forgiveness? Mm, I'll beg for forgiveness. Okay, me too, me too. Best advice you've ever received? Be kind to everyone because you never know who you'll need later in life. And my mother told me that all of the time growing up. Okay, okay, good advice. Shout out mom. What is something you could eat for a week straight? Mm, cucumbers. Straight cucumber? Straight cucumbers. Okay. Yep. yep. She built different, y'all. She's not like <laughs> she's not like most of y'all out there, including myself. <laughs> I like cucumbers though, but I don't know if I could just eat them straight. I All right. Eat them. <laughs> Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? <laughs> just you know. It depends on what are the ingredients in the animal crackers. I told y'all she is not like most of y'all <laughs> out there. All right. Out of all the ages that you can be, what is the best age? Absolute best age. Knowing everything that I know right now, the age that I am right now, 43 is the best age. Okay, that's what's up. We're not getting older. We are getting better. That's right. That's what it is. Okay, good job. Not too bad. See, that was pretty pretty easy. (laughs) Okay, this brings us to the last segment. It is called You Didn't Ask. You Didn't Ask. This is the segment in which you get to share any unsolicited advice that you'd like. Nobody asked, but you're going to give it to them anyway. So what do you have for you didn't ask? That black women, this is a message to black women and and young black women that um, we don't have, this world has not given us room for error. So in light of um, things that are happening with the Olympics, with Shakari Richardson and, you know, other black female athletes in the Olympics and just things that are happening around the world, right? Black women, we are not given room to make mistakes. And so um, with that being said, just understand that we just always have to be on top of our game. Um, One thing that I, I tell, you know, my faculty and staff, they laugh at me all the time. I said, you know, I'm always, I stay ready so that I never have to get ready. You know, you will not catch me slipping on anything um, because I know that I don't have room to make a mistake in the position that I am and that I'm in. I make one mistake. I'll be fired the same day where other people can make those mistakes and they can have their jobs for years and years and years. 
I, I, I won't be able to. And so I just encourage black women and girls, you know, be at the top of your game and everything. Understand what the rules are. Um, understand, you know, the art of war. Understand what, you know, there are some rules that are, are unjust. You understand, you know, how do you handle that? And, you know, I tell people all the time, everything I do, I'm going to do in a professional manner. You know, you, you won't catch me slipping in, in such a way that, you know, you will, you have something on me, you know. So I just encourage black women to, you know, think about who you are, where you are, what your purpose in life is, and be at the top of your game in everything that you do. And so that's, that's my unsolicited advice. That was excellent. That was excellent. I do the very best that I can to be the number one fan of my wife. I know I don't get it right every day, (laughs) but uh, you know, um, but excuse me, but I definitely, you know, she's out there in corporate America. So I definitely try to make sure that I do every single thing that I can to be her number one fan because I know it is not easy for black women out there. Listen, this has been The Network. Again, this is my attempt at creating a modern podcast version of the Negro Motorist Green Book. With each interview, we are building a network of talented professionals that you can reach out and touch. Every episode is designed to help the physical, mental, spiritual, and financial health of Black people living right here in America and traveling through America. Subscribe to The Network. You never know. You might need it. Today's guest, Dr. Christina Payne Hall. Christina, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me.